0: Hello church family and friends. Good to see you all this morning. Um, If you're joining us online, uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, we're excited to be able to jump into the Word with you all today. And if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to Daniel chapter 9, that's where we're going to camp out this morning as we continue our series over the book of Daniel. Um, And we are going to cover the first 23 verses today. And then next week, Pastor Roger is going to finish chapter 9 off as he goes over verses 24 and 20, through 27 next week. Uh, but we've got a great passage uh, to study this morning. Um, it's probably one of the greatest passages on prayer that you'll see in all of the Old Testament, if not the entire Bible. And really my hope for us today is pretty simple. Um, my hope and my prayer for all of us is that we would be both motivated and encouraged uh, to pray more like Daniel. Daniel. Um, that, that's my hope. And so with that in mind, if you would, l- let's please, let's just come before the Lord and ask him, um, that he would do just that. So let's pray. Well, Father God, we, we thank you for your word. And, and God, we do ask that right now that you would help us not to just go through the motions, but that as we read your word, we would let it sink deep and that it would cause fruit. And so God, we give you this time. Would you use me? Would you speak through me? Um, during the remaining time that we have together. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's start by reading verses 1 through 3. So it says this in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, For the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Let's pause there. Uh, Well, over the past few weeks, we've talked about how God has preserved Daniel an exiled Jew through multiple different regimes now. And He's currently serving under Darius the Mede, where he's essentially functioning as Darius's CEO. And Daniel tells us that during the first year of Darius's reign, he was studying the books, or he was studying the Old Testament scriptures, particularly the book of Jeremiah. More than likely, he was reading Jeremiah 25, 11, and Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14, which prophesies about this 70-year time period that had to do with the desolation, and restoration of Jerusalem, uh, which is going to be played out more in verses 24 through 27, um, where Roger's going to hit on that next week. But as Daniel reads about this prophecy, uh, he's clearly shook by what he reads. And he responds by spending the next 15 verses praying to God in light of what he read in Jeremiah. And so what I want to do with the remaining time that we have together is I want us to examine how Daniel responds to this revelation. And verse three tells us very clearly, if you want to look, the way he responded was by giving his attention to the Lord God by seeking him through prayer and supplication, with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And if you've been following us through the series, you'll recall that Daniel is a man of prayer. He routinely cultivated times in his life to come before God through prayer. He is a righteous example for us of someone who models what a healthy prayer life should look like. And so what I want to do as we go through this passage is I want us to ask ourselves, what are some key elements of Daniel's prayer life that we can imitate? What are some key elements of Daniel's prayer life that we can imitate? Because if Daniel is a model of someone who prayed rightly, then good heavens, let's learn how to pray like Daniel. And so I've got five main points if you're taking notes. Um, But the first thing I want you to, to notice about Daniel's prayer life, according to verses one through three, is Daniel's prayer life was saturated in God's word. Daniel's prayer life was saturated in God's word. That's number one. Daniel... Daniel's prayer life was built upon the word of God. It's what fueled his prayers. And John MacArthur, uh, he says this about prayer. He says, most Christians have two main problems when it comes to prayer. Number one is we don't do it enough. We don't do it enough. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter five says that we should pray without ceasing, meaning we need to pray and then we need to keep on praying. Like we are too weak Life is too important. Prayer is too effective for us not to pray. Pray and keep praying. That's what Paul tells us. And I think most of us would humbly admit that we don't pray as much as we should. Like I've never met anybody who's just told me, hey, I've got that whole praying without ceasing thing down. Okay? Never met anyone that said that. No, there's always room for growth. So that's the first problem. We don't pray enough. The second problem that many Christians have is when we do pray, we don't know what to pray for. We don't know what to pray for. We get to the dinner table, it's time to pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this fried chicken. God, help it to be healthy. Lord, bless it. I don't even know what that means, but bless it, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I'm not poking fun at you. I'm poking fun at me. Because that may not be your struggle, but one of my struggles is when I come to the Lord in prayer, I'm just going through the motions. There's no meat there. Which is why it is imperative to study the Word of God. Because the Bible should propel our prayer life and teach us how to pray. Rather than just asking God to bless our food... The Bible takes us a little bit deeper and says things like this. Instead of hating your enemies, love them. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who persecute you. Who are some enemies in your life that you could pray for? The Bible says the Lord is slow to anger, but he's abounding in loving kindness. How has the Lord shown you kindness? And how can you praise him for that? The Bible says, not to indulge in fleshly desires, but to walk by the Spirit. So what are some fleshly desires, some sinful desires that you're prone to give into? And how can you come before the Lord and ask Him to crush those desires that you may live a life that glorifies God? You see, the Bible should transform how we pray. As we mature in Christ, our prayer life should look more and more like God's Word. In Acts 6, you'll see that the apostles gave themselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. You see, they, they go together. The word of God should cause prayer. Like if you can read the Bible and not be led to pray, you're not reading it right. Because as you go to the Bible, it should convict you of things that you need to confess or convict you of things that you need to praise God for. But one way or another, the word of God should elicit a response. Daniel's prayer life was saturated in God's word and so should ours. That's number one. All right, number two, Daniel's prayer life at times involved fasting. Daniel's prayer life at, ta- at times involved fasting. For, s- for some reason, many Christians in our day and age, we don't talk about fasting very much. It's not a regular part of our language. But the problem with that is Jesus assumed we would fast. You can do some homework. Go to Matthew 9, verses 14 through 15. And you'll see that John the Baptist had some disciples and they came up to Jesus. And they said, hey, Jesus, how come your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said, well, because right now they don't need a fast because I'm here with them. And when I'm here, we party, okay? But when I go back up to heaven, believe me. They're gonna fast. When Jesus returns, we feast. Until then, we fast. That was Jesus' expectation. The people of God have always fasted. You can read the scriptures and see for yourself. Moses, David, Elijah, Esther, Daniel, Anna, Paul, and Jesus himself all practiced the discipline of fasting. If you study church history, you'll see Christian leaders such as John Calvin and Jonathan Edwards. And John Wesley, basically, every Christian that's ever been named John, okay, practiced the discipline of fasting. And what fasting is, is it's voluntarily going without food or any other regularly enjoyed good gift from God for the sake of seeking God and making him a priority. It's meant to be counter cultural. It's meant to counter this consumer mentality, me-centric society that we live in. And we can fast for a variety of reasons. Sometimes we fast in order to express our desires. And so as we fast, it's it's an expression of our longing heart. And so maybe like we have a, we're in a marriage that we are praying that it will be redeemed. And so we fast, we say, God, please, would you move here? Would you move? Or maybe we're praying for the younger generation that they would rise up and be bold for the gospel. So we fast. We'd say, God, would you have mercy? Would you move? Would you move? There's a a bunch of reasons why to fast. Uh, For some of us, and we see this in Scripture, we fast in order to discipline our bodies. Because most of us, we fall into temptation because we lack discipline. But a regular practice of fasting helps us to submit to the Spirit, to crucify the deeds of the flesh so that we can learn how to fight when temptation comes. And for some of you, like I know you're wrestling hard with sin right now. You're in a season of sin. And I want to encourage you, like, like maybe take up fasting and learn how to discipline your body. And that's going to aid you in temptation. But there's a bunch of reasons why people fast in the Scriptures, and I encourage you to do a personal study on that. But my point is this. If we're going to imitate Daniel's prayer life, then at times that will involve fasting. That's number two. All right, number three. Daniel's prayer life consisted of a heartfelt confession. Daniel's prayer life consisted of a heartfelt confession, which we'll read about in verses 4 through 14, so let's pick it up there. It says this in verse four. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us, open shame. As it is this day, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, and all the countries to which you have driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord. To our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us. "...along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words, which he has spoken against us, and against our rulers who ruled us, to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem." As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord, our God, by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord, our God, is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. All right, let's stop there. Let's take a deep breath, because that was a lot of scripture, and that's a heavy chunk. And I'm not going to walk through every verse, but essentially what this is, this is a massive prayer of confession. Daniel is confessing Israel's past sins. He identifies with those sins, and then he affirms that he and the people of Israel deserve every ounce of judgment that they're getting. His confession is threefold. He confesses that Israel had departed from the word of God. He confesses that they had disregarded the prophets of God. And in doing so, they had despised the Lord God himself. And in order to truly understand everything that Daniel is saying, you've got to understand the nature of the covenant that God had with Israel, which really ties back to Deuteronomy 28. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again you're not going to understand your Old Testament very well unless you understand Deuteronomy 28. So at some point, whether now or in the future, okay, open up your Bible to Deuteronomy 28 and put a big star right there. Because really everything that you see in the Old Testament is going to tie back to that chapter. But what Deuteronomy 28 states in a very simple fashion is this, is if God's people will obey the Lord and obey his commands, as laid out in the Mosaic law, then they would experience blessing. But if God's people disobeyed the Lord, if they rebelled against the Lord's commands, then they would experience the Lord's discipline or his cursing. And the most feared and devastating curse of all was deportation from the land of promise which is what the Israelites were going through in the book of Daniel. They were exiles in Babylon because of their disobedience. And what Daniel emphatically affirms here is that they deserve it. He says they deserve every ounce of judgment that they're getting, myself included, because we're rebellious children of wrath, and we have rebelled against the commands of the Almighty. Daniel says we deserve what we are getting. Daniel's not messing around here. This is a heavy, heavy prayer of confession. But if we're going to pray like Daniel, then heartfelt confession needs to be a part of our prayer life as well. Because we're human. And we're going to fall short in this life. We're going to mess up. 1 John 1.8 says this, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. John essentially tells believers, he says quit playing games with God. Quit acting like you got it all together. You're going to fall short in this life because you're human. And we've got to own that. Because there is no restoration apart from confession. There is no restoration apart from confession. Proverbs 28:13 says this. If we hide our sin, we will not prosper. But if we confess our sin, we will find compassion. Confession leads to compassion and restoration. That's how our God works. You see that progression all throughout scripture. But unfortunately, because of pride, confession and admission of guilt is one of the hardest obstacles for mankind to overcome. One of the hardest things to say in the human language is this I was wrong. I was wrong. I messed up. I sinned. But the the sad part is most of our troubles in this life would be alleviated if we could just learn how to say those words I have sinned. I've sinned. If nations and presidents, And fathers, and mothers, and husbands, and wives, and brothers, and sisters, and friends, and co-workers, and pastors, and elders. Would just be willing to say, I'm to blame. I was wrong. It was my fault. Will you forgive me? If we would be willing to do that a countless number of situations would be corrected immediately. In fact, I dare you to do that. I want you to think about someone that you've wronged lately. Okay. I want you to think about that. If you're having a hard time thinking of anybody, that's a, that's a deeper conversation we need to have. Okay. But I want you to think, and whoever that person is in your mind, I want you to consider... Humbly going up to them and saying, just simply, hey, I dropped the ball. I messed up. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And then stop talking. That's when we mess up. Okay, just stop. (laughs) Just stop. And see what God does with that. See what he'll do when you're willing to come low. And while I can't promise you that that relationship's automatically going to be restored, what I can promise you Is that if you do the exact same thing with God Almighty, He is faithful and He will righteously forgive you of all of your sins and cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. If you will come to the Almighty with your sins, humbly admit your guilt and then fall at His feet, I promise you, He'll lift your head. He'll forgive you, He'll restore you because He's faithful. That's just who God is. And that's what prompted Daniel to confess. He knew the very heart of God. Verse 9 says, To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him. Daniel was the first to acknowledge that he was a sinner, and he deserved nothing but the wrath of God. His only hope was in the fact that God was merciful. That God was merciful. And that's our hope as well. Church, don't let 1 John 1, 9 become dull for you. Don't let that verse become dull for you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do not let that become dull. You repeat that to yourself every minute of every day for the rest of your life. If you will confess your sins, our God will restore you. He'll restore you. You're never too far gone. Uh, the other day, um, I had to discipline my daughter, Avery, uh, because she is a typical four-year-old sibling, okay? And uh, she got frustrated with her younger sister, and she just bonked her on the head. <laughs> and so, um, so I grabbed her, put her in timeout, and I told her, I said, Avery, you can't do that, girl. Like, when you get frustrated, you can't just bonk people on the head, okay? Like, I want to do that sometimes, but we just can't. That's not how life works, okay? <laughs> That's not how life works. I was getting on her a little bit. I said, Avery, you, you, that's not what you were made for. You were made to love your sister, not hurt her. And she had these big tears in her eyes. And she said, Daddy, I know. I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? Do you still love me? And I thought I said, Avery, I, yes, I forgive you. I'm always gonna love you. But every time you bonk your sister on the head, you're going to time out. <laughs> because a good dad disciplines those he loves. And then afterwards, she, she put her arms around me and she just wanted me to hold her. She wanted me to rock her as she cried. And some of you are sitting here thinking, like, yeah, brother, wait till she's 16. Okay, she, she ain't gonna do that no more, okay? <laughs> but there's a lot we can learn. From children. There's a lot we can learn from children. And as I was holding her, it reminded me that that's how my God wants me to come to him. He doesn't want me to sugarcoat things. He doesn't want me to try to justify myself or or earn my way back to him. No, just admit your guilt. Own your sin. And then let God hold you. Because he's already dealt with that sin. That's why Jesus came and he went to the cross took it all Jesus loves you he proved that and some of you this morning you need to do that you need to quit justifying yourself you need to quit ignoring your sin just own it and come to the Lord who loves you and let him restore you as you confess your sin and lean on the promises of God that's who he is Because compassion and forgiveness belongs to the Lord. But I also want you to notice here that Daniel isn't just broken over his own sins. He's broken over the sins of his people. He identifies with and confesses the sins of the people. You know, I think it's interesting that when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he says, hey, listen, when you confess, this is what I want you to say. Forgive us our debts, As we forgive our debtors. Not forgive me my debts. Not forgive me my debtors. Okay, it's our, our. You see, confession is meant to be communal. We stand in the gap for one another. We confess and plead for one another. That's what the church is supposed to be about. And that's what Daniel does here. He owns his sin. He owns the sins of his people. And then he casts himself on the promises of God, which leads us to verses 15 through 19. We're going to see the fourth element of Daniel's prayer life, and it's this. Daniel's prayer life focused on restoration. Daniel's prayer life focused on restoration. Let's read about that in verse 15. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself as it is this day, we have sinned. We have been wicked, O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts. Let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our, our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, oh my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. Man, so much great stuff here. I mean, just a beautiful, powerful prayer. And we see here that Daniel transitions from confession to restoration. Restoration as he pleads with God to restore his people back to the promised land. And one of the ways that Daniel does this is by reflecting on the greatest redemptive event in Israel's history. And that was the great exodus from Egypt, where God demonstrated his faithfulness to his people with his great power, where he ultimately delivered his people from Pharaoh. And what Daniel does here is he says, God, like, do it again. Like, do what you've done in the past. Like, I know you're faithful. I know you're committed to us. I know you're capable. So do it again. That's Daniel's prayer. He appeals to God's glory and God's character. He says, God, I'm not asking you to give us what we deserve. We know what we deserve It's judgment. I'm asking you to give us that which we don't deserve. Because we know you're a God of compassion. And that's who he appeals to. Uh, years ago, I was meeting with a guy um, who had fallen into sin. And I was just encouraging him in God's grace. And he got a little irritated with me. Uh, he's like, man, I knew you were going to encourage me. <laughs> he said, I knew it. He's like, what I want you to do is I want you to rebuke me. I want you to chastise me. I want you to tell me that I'm not worthy. Because I keep falling over and over and over again. And I told him, I said, brother, I'm just telling you what God has told us according to his word. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.17 says that Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to love the world and set us free. Ephesians 2.8-9 says he saved us not according to our works, but according to his great grace. That's why. It's not supposed to make sense. We know we're not worthy. That's kind of the point. It's a gift. It's a gift. That's just who God is. He's abounding in loving kindness. He's full of great compassion. And he loves to restore. And that's why we have hope. And Daniel prayed with that truth in mind. And so should we. Well, let's close with verses 20 through 23. Where we're going to find our last point on prayer. And it says this in verse 20. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instruction. And he talked with me and he said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. And I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. The last thing that we need to remember, if we're going to imitate Daniel's prayer life, it's this. Daniel prayed confidently because he was cherished by God. He prayed with such boldness and confidence because he knew at the end of the day he was cherished by God. And since Daniel was treasured by God, God treasured his prayers. And so while Daniel was praying in the evening, weary and burdened because of sin and brokenness, God came near. And he responded by sending his angel to comfort Daniel and to give him understanding. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. For those of us in Christ, God cherishes us. Therefore, he cherishes our prayers. Um, Years ago, uh, when my wife and I started trying to have kids. Uh, For whatever reason, we weren't able to do so. Uh, It kind of took us off guard. I wasn't prepared for that. Um, A year went by, still no pregnancy, and we started to learn that one in five couples struggle with infertility, and we were one of them. And one year went by, two years went by, three years went by, going on four And it was a hard stretch of time for my wife and I. And I know a lot of you are sitting here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, We had a lot of tears, a lot of heartache, a lot of hard conversations, a lot of confusion. didn't help that every time you go on Facebook, somebody else is having a baby. And they'd be like, we weren't even trying. We just looked at each other, you know. And and we'd be like, well, good for you. (laughs) Like, good for you. Um, And then we'd feel guilty about that we'd feel shamed for feeling that way towards people. So we'd have to confess that to the Lord. And it was like this cycle, this exhausting cycle. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about. Um, well, then I, I started coaching at Eisenhower Middle School, right down the road. And my boss, the head coach, his name was Chad Curtis, a guy who was in his 40s, godly man. But for whatever reason, even though he deeply desired to have a spouse, the Lord had never granted him one. And he was very broken because of that. Uh, and me and Chad became real close, confided in, he, in each other a lot. I think when he interviewed me, we like cried <laughs> talking about the sovereignty of God at a public school. It's incredible. Um, but we decided one day when we came together, we said, you know what? Like, what if we practice a fast for 40 days. Like for forty days, what if I, what if I prayed for you, you prayed for me, we just carried one another's burdens for forty days, and so for forty days, we went for it. I prayed for Chad that he would find a spouse, and he prayed for me that my wife and I would be able to have a child, and we knew full well that God didn't know us anything. He. God has already granted us everything in Christ Jesus. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord and we are going to follow him regardless. But we also knew 1 Peter 5, 7, which calls on us to bring all of our anxieties to the Lord. And we also knew as we read scriptures that often when the people of God would fast and call upon the name of the Lord, God would often come near and he would respond and he'd lift up the heads of his children. And so with that in mind, we prayed for 40 days. And you can say whatever you want. But at the end of those 40 days, my wife found out she was pregnant. And Chad met him a godly woman at church. And they've now been married for five years. And I now get to discipline my daughter. (laughs) And I tell you all that knowing full well that it doesn't always work like that. I realize that. God is God. He does what He wants. But my point is this. Our God does answer prayers. And He treasures our prayers. And when God's people will humble themselves and come before Him, He does some really amazing things that will give Him much glory and bless His people. And I just want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to have faith in your prayers because of who God is. He's a God of compassion. I don't know what you're going through. I don't pretend to know. But our God knows. And He loves you. And he just wants you to draw near to him. And so that's what I'm encouraging you to do. You keep praying, church. Your prayers matter. You saturate those prayers in the word of God. Involve fasting, confess, plead for restoration, and at the end of the day, know that your God cherishes you. Let's pray. Well, Father God, um, I know there's a lot of heavy hearts this morning, people going through a bunch of stuff. But we are thankful that you're not a God who just sits on the high mountain away from us, but you are a God who became proximate as Jesus came down to earth in order to show his people, hey, you don't have to come to me, I'm coming to you. And now for those of us in Christ, your spirit indwells in us. And I pray God that you would encourage your people to have faith once again, to come before you, And know that you are a God who loves us, who hears us, and you're also a God who acts. And you often do so as a result of our prayers. And so God, we give you our lives. We ask that you'd help us to take another step today. Not to worry about tomorrow, but just focus on today. And do so in a way that's glorifying to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you worshiping with us online, thanks for joining us and we will see you again next week.